So again, um, these are not my words. Um, they are the words of my brilliant spouse um, who thinks and uh, processes much differently than me. So uh, babe, I hope that you are resting and not watching this. Um, but if you are watching this or you're watching it later, uh, going to do my best. All right. Uh, if you can start the first slide. Okay. I want to introduce you to someone. This is Percival Lowell. Percy was a wildly successful businessman and mathematician who at age 38 became absolutely obsessed with the planet Mars. The year was 1893 and the astronomy world was abuzz with these weird lines on Mars. With the best telescopes available, Mars was a blurry red ball with indistinct features. But there were astronomers all around the world who claimed to be able to see faint straight lines crisscrossing the globe. Percy was convinced that these were canals created by a dying civilization desperate to move water from the seasonally melting ice caps to the warmer equator. Um, think maybe this is time? Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> so he used his considerable fortune to build his own observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he devoted the rest of his life to solving this mystery. Without computers or cameras, it was a painstaking process. He would have to wait until a night when the skies were clear and Mars was visible, train the telescope on the red planet, and then draw what he saw in his notebook. So he did all this by hand. Over the years, he mapped the whole planet and discovered that the canals seemed to be moving and growing. He named all the canals and lakes that he saw and devised an entire backstory for the Martians who were desperately trying to save their civilization with planet-wide irrigation canals. Then he turned his attention to Venus. Because after all, if there's life on one of our neighboring planets, what about our other next door neighbor? Well, Venus is covered in a thick reflective atmosphere, so there's not much to look at but he devised another technique. By reducing the size of the lens to a tiny pinhole, he was able to block out a lot of the light interference. And he began to see similar planet-wide lines on Venus. These spokes seemed to branch out from a central hub. Were they mountains? A vast highway system? Weird clouds? Unfortunately, he never found out as he died at the age of 61 from a stroke after a lifetime of severe hypertension. Time marched on, telescopes got better, and we sent probes to both planets. But no one could figure out how he was seeing these canals on Mars and the spokes on Venus. They just aren't there. Generations wondered at what he was seeing, but to no avail. Then almost a hundred years later, in 2006, an ophthalmologist named Andrew Young just so happened to see these illustrations that Lowell had made and said, oh, hey, 
I've seen that before. Any guesses? Mm -hmm. Those are blood vessels. He wasn't seeing canals and spokes. He was seeing his own eye. I see you see this. By shrinking the aperture of his telescope, he accidentally tricked his eye into seeing the blood vessels that our brain normally edits out. Now, Zach had an experiment for all of you, so I'm going to explain it so you can do this at home. But um, if you want to see your own blood vessels, you can do this. Um, Technically, you can't see them right now, but your brain won't let you notice them unless we do this little trick. So he would give you one of these index cards with a very tiny pinhole in it. And he would ask you to close one eye. I can't do this if I'm going to read. Um, you would close one eye and put this over the other eye. So like very close to your eye. Then you look at a light source and you shake the card a little bit, not much. Just enough to get a good wiggling going. And he says, do you see those little gray lines? Those are your blood vessels. They are there all the time and you don't notice them. Normally they don't impact your life, but for Percy, they informed everything he was trying to do leading him further and further from the truth. And I told Zach, I said, I'm so glad that he died before he found this out. Um, his whole life's work, like, could you imagine? That's the kind of way that things go, right? We're never actually seeing the world as it is. We're always seeing it through the lens of who we are. Angry people see a world full of frustrating idiots. Optimists see a world of possibilities, while pessimists see a world of missed opportunities. Our entire experience of the world, the sense we make out of it, and how, much, how we move through it is, in large part, determined by our unexamined, deeper self. But our outer life flows directly from that inner life. Anything we hope to create out there begins in here. So if we are to be a people who are creating beautiful things, then it must start from within. That's where this wild story from Matthew, come, Matthew 4 comes in. Now for some of you, the image of Jesus conversing with the devil is weird and distracting and a little too mythological for your sensibilities. That's okay. If it helps, all throughout scripture, Satan is portrayed as the embodiment of accusation and temptation. In Hebrew, the word hasatan, I think that's how you pronounce it, means the accuser, like a court prosecutor. It's the voice in your head that tells you you're a phony, and everyone knows it. It's the voice that tells you to give up and take the easy route to unplug your brain and zone out for a couple decades. It's the internal accuser, judging yourself harsher than you judge anyone else. 
So if you have a hard time with the colorful first century imagery of this passage, try to use it that way. Because that's where these temptations come from, right? They aren't coming at Jesus from the outside. The devil is just naming what Jesus has been feeling this whole time. Jesus, at age 30, has left his family behind to follow this calling. It's a dangerous and lonely calling. He knows that it will trigger all of his insecurities, fears, and doubts. So before he can go out and create this new movement, he takes 40 days in the wilderness to fast, to pray, and to work out his inner demons. After a few weeks of this, the accuser shows up and says, Hey man, you look hungry. You know what would be really great right now? Some fresh baked bread. Mm. You could make that happen now and no one would know. Just give in to what your body wants and stop trying so hard to control it. But Jesus says, nah, man, you don't get it. There's more to life than food. I'm looking for truth, not comfort. So the accuser tries again. This time, you really think you're special? You really think you're God's chosen one? How sure are you? Like for real, deep down, you don't really believe it, do you? Prove it. Jump off this tower, and if you're really God's chosen one, then you'll be fine. But I know you won't try, because you don't really believe in yourself, do you? Jesus thinks about it for a second and replies, no. I don't doubt God's hand on me, so I don't need to test God's faithfulness. Besides, where does that end? If God has to prove God's self every time I need to do something, I'll never get anything done. Frustrated, the accuser tries one more time. Come on, Jesus. You're here to save your people, right? How about we skip a few steps and I just give them to you? You just need to compromise your morals this one time by worshiping me. And you'll have what you want. Think of the good you'll be able to do. It's just one little compromise. And you can save yourself a lot of pain and heartbreak. I know that he thought long and hard about that one. How many of us have been faced with that kind of decision before? Just one simple moral compromise. And you get what you want, the easy way. But Jesus did not comply. He said, I have one God and one loyalty, and I will not sacrifice that. Before Jesus could go out and create this beautiful movement, he needed to take intentional time to look within himself. To honestly wrestle with his psyche. And then integrate his whole self together. 40 days of self-work revealed how dependent he was on physical comforts. How uncertain he was about his call. And how susceptible he was to making moral compromises for the sake of the larger mission. He never conquered these either. He struggled with them throughout his ministry just like everyone else. We see him later in the garden, praying that God would find another easier way because he wasn't sure if his body 
could take it. But throughout his ministry, he never falters. And I think that's because he's done his own internal work. He knows where his triggers and issues are, so he's able to reframe his situation and see it more accurately. So a personal example of Zach's <laughs> is that I had some really bad traumatizing experiences with a certain type of evangelical Christianity. I've healed since then, but those experiences shaped the person that I am. So now when I hear a certain style of preaching, I hear specific catchphrases, or even the sounds of an electric piano playing a jazzy seventh chord, while someone in a microphone says, mmm, amen, it makes my skin crawl. I have been so critical of Christians and churches like the one I was hurt in. For years, I judged them all so harshly, discrediting all the good that they do. But my judgment wasn't based on truth. It was based on my pain, superimposed on them. So now, when I feel myself being triggered in that way, I can take a step back, see myself in the bigger picture, and choose to act differently than I feel. Another way to look at this is as an artist getting ready to create a painting. Before they grab a brush and jump right in, they first have to stay, take stock of what colors they have, what brushes are available, and how clean their workstation is. Sure, you could just start without doing inventory, but you're not gonna be able to make, uh, to create the art that you imagine. You're gonna make a mess. But if you take the time to examine what supplies you have, what you're missing, what you need to buy, and what you need to fix, you can create something beautiful. So during this season of drawing in, I want us to set aside some intentional time to take inventory of ourselves. What are our issues? Where is our pain? Where is our joy? Where are our blind spots? And how do they all fit together 